0: You're listening to Hub City Hoops Talk, powered by The Nation. Here are your hosts, Austin Massey and Jacob Harris.
1: All right, well, we have Mark Chavez with us today. Uh, He's going to be answering some questions surrounding Title IX uh, in the civil lawsuit against Pop Isaacs. Um, Mark is actually a a diehard Texas Tech fan. He went to Texas Tech. uh, He grew up in Lubbock. Was actually on the Texas Tech baseball roster in 1998, which I thought was super cool. Um, but in terms of Mark's background, um, he spent 12 years as a prosecutor. I'm um, actually spent a couple years um, in the Loving DA's office. He specializes in Title IX and um, criminal law.
0: Um, Mark, welcome to the podcast, man. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And I appreciate you being very, very precise in your words, as far as being on the roster in 1998, <laughs> that was a pretty salty team that they had back then. Uh, That's so right. I appreciate that, but thanks, thanks for having me on gentlemen.
2: Absolutely. So can you provide us a brief overview of what title nine entails for our listeners who might not be familiar with what that is?
0: Okay. Uh, obviously this is all surrounding the, the new, uh, issue dealing with Pop Isaacs and what has happened surrounding that. And it's important to kind of differentiate the different types of areas that we're dealing with, because we hear the words like sexual assault. And obviously, the first thing that conjures up in your mind is a criminal case. So there's the criminal system. Then there's a civil lawsuit that I'm sure everybody's seen. And then there's a third avenue of Title IX. Okay, And what that is, every university in the United States, it's governed by, by federal law and they're required to have policies in place with their university. And each university can differentiate as to what their terms are, or what their definition of certain policy violations are. In this case, we're dealing with sexual assault. So what it is, it's more of a procedure in the university on how to handle allegations such as sexual assault. A lot of people think a Title IX Case means you're going to court and you're going to see a judge and and all that entails with that. It's actually not. It's a process separate and apart from the court system, either civil or criminal. And it deals specifically with the university in their own policies and how they're going to regulate their policies and how they're going to regulate people who are accused or we call it a complaint uh, and the person that files the charge is it a complainant and how that person who's being accused of, uh, we also not name them the respondent. They're not a defendant. Um, what, what, what are their due process rights as far as the allegations against them? So Title IX deals with the university and the university handling those situations. Now, it is guided by federal law and how they do that. OK, so it's important to separate all the three different areas of law that law that we're talking about. OK.
1: Got it. Um, and So I guess just this is a little off topic um, in terms of our outline, but uh, is there like a specific office that is on, you know, that is headquartered on the university campus that is handling these things? Or is this something that is done like,
0: you know, remotely? No, there is a specific office. Within each university, they're required to have Title IX office. And there are certain positions that must be filled. There's got to be a Title IX director. There's got to be investigators. There's got to be a Title IX coordinator. Uh, So yes, each university is required to have a certain Title IX office. Now, they don't have to have the same positions within each university. But yes, within the university, there's got to be specific personnel. And required in federal law is specific training of Title IX and how to handle those situations. Um, And it goes everything from the investigative portion all the way to the final report to a final hearing, who can hear a hearing, who's required to be in the hearing, all the way into a Title IX counselor who is, their job is to look after the mental well-being of the person accused, the respondent. Uh, And they're kind of like a counselor, check in with that person. Are you doing okay mentally? How's your anxiety? You know, stuff like that. So, yes, it is a specific office within the university.
1: Okay, got it. Uh, That's good to know. Um, And then, I guess, are there any, like, uh, you know, in terms of, like, the timeline, the procedures, um, is there, are there anything that that maybe you want to note that differentiates um, Title IX from, like, a civil or a criminal case? Any, like, key um, points that our viewers should be aware of?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, Title IX, the, the federal code states that Title IX in the investigation and even the final hearing must be wrapped up within a reasonable time. And that's really what it says. And each university has kind of like, like what their deadlines are. Like, for example, there's some universities down south that I know that I've worked with that they like to stay within a strict 90-day policy. That means wrap it up within three months, Okay. Other universities that I've dealt with, 180 days. Now, it, that is what their goal is. I've been a part of many Title IX processes that go all the way to a final hearing. That, frankly, they just can't get within that time frame. But they try to wrap it up and within a reasonable time frame. Let's let's change that to a criminal uh, sector. Other than the statute of limitations on a criminal offense to be filed or pursued, there's not much time limit. Once it's filed or an indictment happens in a criminal case, it can last for years. Same thing on a civil lo- lawsuit. You have so much time to f- file the civil lawsuit, but if you file that civil lawsuit within the statute of limitations, and we're talking about years of statute of limitations, if you file it within there, however long it takes to resolve, it'll take years. So the Title IX process try is definitely a lot faster than those other two avenues. But as I stated earlier, it's within a reasonable time. And when I say reasonable time, the reason why it takes so hard to get within that time frame is because these investigators are required to interview both parties, review or interview any relevant witnesses that either party sees as relevant. And then we have to coordinate both of their schedules, their advisor schedules, the hearing officer schedules to see who all can get on the same page as far as the date for a final hearing. Obviously, that's hard to do.
1: Got it. And then uh, just one more question on the Title IX situation with this specific, um, you know, case or um, what is like in terms of, um, you know, the, the process of, of their investigation, are they going to be, you know, uh, what information are they going to be utilizing? Like, are they going to be utilizing information from the lawsuit or are they going to be doing their own investigation, interviewing people that they think are, <laughs> you know, direct, like, how do they uh, pull this information, I guess? And, and are they going to be conducting um, interviews like a, you know, maybe like a court would?
0: Okay. So let, let's talk about uh, the Title Nine process because it will answer a lot of those questions. Okay. Once an, a student receives an initial complaint, that means they, they have been made aware that they violated a student code of conduct. And they're honestly uh, able to see what the general allegations are. Okay an investigator takes over the initial role within the university they're a title IX investigator and their job frankly is to gather all the relevant information notice the keyword relevant okay so they're going to go interview the complainant they're going to interview the respondent who's the person being alleged to commit this violation and if if i'm like i've represented respondents many times, and we say, well, I've got these two witnesses that can have relevant information as to the night in question. It's not necessarily, you know, we have information about the complainant, they're a bad person. No, it's got to be relevant to what the allegation is. But if we give them these witnesses, they're required to go interview those people. So this investigator has the primary tough job of gathering all this information and evidence Evidence can include text messages that provide context. It could be emails. It could be, frankly, I've seen it to where um, if there was a companion criminal case, they go get the probable cause affidavit of the criminal uh, arrest. So there they can use outside. Now, to bring into context as to what we're dealing with Texas Tech, the civil lawsuit is just allegations. That's all it is. The allegations itself is not evidence. Okay, so whether they feel that's relevant or not, that's their call. So they gather all this evidence and then they create what's called a final report and we're allowed to edit it if we, we read it and say, Hey, that was inaccurately portrayed. My client actually said this, or we want this added into it. I believe we answered that and it was omitted from the report, just like technical editing to the report. After that, then it would get set for a final hearing to where uh, as advisory counsel, I'm allowed to cross examine cross-examine the investigator. The complainant, any witnesses that the complainant would have, my client would have the right to testify and all that. So that's the process. And the the relevant evidence can be looked at. And that would be under really the general idea of what the investigator felt was relevant. Okay. We could bring it up in the hearing. And then, whatever hearing, like Texas Tech uses actually a four person hearing panel, they would determine whether they felt the, the information we wanted to bring up was relevant. Okay. That would be their determination.
2: All right. So let's kind of move on from Title Nine more over to maybe like a civil a civil lawsuit that we're kind of looking at. So what are the potential outcomes of a civil lawsuit and how might they impact the different parties involved?
0: Okay. And and I kind of want to keep that answer, I'm going to answer that question, but keep it in the context of what mm-hmm. we're dealing with here Absolutely. at Texas Tech with what's going on. Okay. If you can imagine a civil lawsuit, even though it's one person against the other, if you can back up and just understand. It's almost like a car accident case uh, you know when you hear about car accident suing for damages okay In other words what I'm saying is what's the worst thing that can happen in a civil suit they get they have to pay a sum a settlement and it's about money frankly a civil suit is about money, especially something like this. you see what they're asking for. I believe the civil complaint actually mentioned a million dollars. Don't get caught up on what he's asking for because the code requires or it's typical in civil lawsuits to have certain ranges like less than 250,000, 250 to a million, more than a million. So those are just general markers. Okay. so what could happen is in a civil lawsuit, the worst thing that can happen is he be ruled against that he violated it. He's found Uh, responsible for the allegations that they do, and a judge orders X amount of damages to be paid to the complainant, Okay, the petitioner. That's the worst thing that can happen in a civil case. Oftentimes, if you really use the analogy of a car accident case, well, we don't want to go to a final hearing. We don't want to chance it. We don't know if we're going to be awarded zero dollars or a million dollars. Let's negotiate. Let's come to a, a settlement. Right. And a lot of times you don't hear the 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 amount of the settlement because it's non-disclosed. So in the the deal that we're talking about, the civil suit filed against Pop Isaacs, that's what it would be. You know, it would be up to Pop and his attorneys to determine, is it worth going all the way? Because what happens next is uh, they will try to get evidence and information from each other. They can depose people. They can sit there and question them. Um, They can get their phone records of text messages, things of that sort. And both sides have to determine whether it's worth going that far or is it worth talking about negotiations. Okay. A lot of people will say, well, if he's willing to negotiate, that means he's guilty. He did something. Maybe, maybe not. A lot of times it's like, is it worth that hassle, trouble? Is there some that we could come to an agreement? to?" I say make this go away. That's not really true. It's can we have everybody come to an agreement? basically. Okay. It doesn't matter what verdict comes in the civil or what agreement, he can't be arrested for it. Frankly, there's no direct mechanism for the, for the university to kick him out based on any civil agreement reached. A civil agreement is strictly that independent of itself, independent of the university and any criminal allegations.
1: Got it. Um, And and I guess this is a little off topic again, but um I did want to get your thoughts, and you know uh, this is a pretty unique situation because it uh you know the alleged incident occurred um you know outside of the United States so what are, in terms of a, a civil suit and and how is the judge gonna view that uh you know are are there potential like jurisdiction issues or you know I know that with pop being a, a resident of Lubbock that you know the judge can per you know they can uh, move forward with those those uh, allegations yeah. but What is the potential complications because of the jurisdiction, I guess?
0: Uh, That's an amazing question, Austin. And here's a bombshell that not a lot of people are talking about. Because, and and I don't know if you've seen on X Twitter, I've made comments about the Title IX process. And and it kind of gave people insight to kind of settle down the anxiety of the Title IX. And why is Pop, Pop still out there playing? Um, it's, that's a very good question. Okay. First, let me take the civil side, what you just talked about, the civil suit. This happened in the Bahamas. Well, civil jurisdictions say that you can file a lawsuit where the offense allegedly occurred or where the defendant resides or where the plaintiff resides. Well, in this case, both of them resides, resided in Lubbock at the time of the offense. So jurisdiction is proper in Lubbock, Texas. Okay. That's why they filed it there. All right. Jurisdiction when it comes to Title IX. Okay. Remember what I said at the beginning federal law mandates or dictates and guides Title IX. This happened outside the United States. Technically, Title IX has no jurisdiction. Okay. That means it should be dismissed for for Title IX process. Does that mean he's free and clear from the university? No. The university can then go forward with non Title IX procedures. Okay. And the thing that hurts about that is there are different procedures, a non-Title IX violation, because don't forget, it's still a violation of their student policy. Okay, It just isn't governed under Title IX because it has no jurisdiction. And the difference is, one of the big differences is, is if I represented POP under non-Title IX moving forward, I would not have the right to cross-examine the complainant. Only the hearing directors could do that. And that's a huge discerning difference, okay? Because frankly, I'm at least experienced and I've cut my teeth in, in criminal jury trials and, and even prosecution where I've cross-examined many witnesses for many years. There's some value to that. If the hearing officers, even though they're, they're trained and educated in Title IX, they may not have that, those contextual cross-examination questions and it could hurt him, but they could proceed under a non-Title IX violation of co- student code of conduct. And that's totally different.
1: Got it. And so do you, in your opinion, and I know that this is a bit of speculation, but Texas Tech put out a, a release uh, about a week ago and they said that, you know, POP is uh, essentially cleared right now and has they have not, Title IX has not recommended that they withhold them. Something along the lines of that. I should have probably had the, the accurate statement. You think that potentially um, that, you know, what you just mentioned with jurisdiction is potentially why that statement, you know, is uh is accurate, I guess, or or is that just because they haven't, you know, completed the investigation?
0: In my opinion, of course, this is my opinion. I don't represent Texas Tech, but looking at from from what I do and my experiences, Title IX, part of the revamping, uh, and I don't want to go into history because it could take a while, but they changed <laughs> the law, they changed the way they did Title Nine in 2020. And what they did was they added a presumption of being not responsible. Okay. You are presumed to be not responsible now until a finding of true by uh, the greater weight of credible evidence. It's that whole 50 plus one or 50 plus a feather, whatever you want to say. Okay. But the important thing is the presumption of not being responsible. So as of right now, it doesn't matter how ugly the allegations could be. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. As of today, according to the university, he remains in good standing because of that presumption. There's been no finding against him. Now, if he went forward with a hearing and is found responsible, that changes. But what I love here, and, and I'm going to reiterate this over and over again, what I loved that Texas Tech did is it was reported to, to McCaslin. OK, at some point, these university employees or officials, coaches, whatever you call them, they're all what we call mandatory reporters. They have to report it. But rather than trying to sweep it under the rug, hide it, you know, handle it within the team, uh, he reported it to the AD and then they reported it to Title IX office. They did exactly what they're supposed to do. OK, but even though it's reported to Title IX office, guess what? He's got that presumption. So when you go to the university and say, hey, what's Pop standing here? The university is like, he's in good standing because there's been no finding. And then they go forward with the whole investigation. And it doesn't matter if they interview him. It doesn't matter what evidence the complainant brings forward that is so damning against him. It doesn't matter. They haven't had the hearing and he has that presumption of being not responsible.
1: Got it. Yeah, that's all great information. And we really appreciate you joining today, Mark. Um, I guess, Jacob, did you have any other final questions you wanted to ask?
2: I did not. I really appreciate the insight and information. That was really, really, really helpful, I think, to everybody out there that doesn't really understand what's going on.
0: Absolutely. And, and the sad part is, I'll, I'll close with this, is, you know, we hear the words, and it's been echoed over and over again, sexual assault, sexual assault. Well, my understanding, one, we're not dealing with the criminal aspect, Okay. Um, and, and that's got to be key, because if you look at the language of that civil lawsuit, the type of allegations that he puts forward, they sound criminal. You know, they're alleging intoxication, the in- incapacity to consent, and then by force, because they said, I think the language that I read in the civil lawsuit was could try to fight him off. Well, those both are criminal allegations, but at no time did they ever go to a criminal investigator or detective to open up a criminal complaint. So, uh, you know, for whatever reason they didn't, they chose to file a civil lawsuit. But keep out of mind the criminals sector, because a lot of people say, you know, the presumption of innocence or he has a right to remain silent, stuff like that. As far as I'm concerned, nothing has happened criminal in his case to even talk about that arena. Okay. And I think that's the distinction. I hate to step out of the box here, but that's kind of maybe why we had a little differentiation between what's going on with TJ Shannon in Illinois, because he was actually arrested on a criminal complaint. And then maybe the team or the university felt like they had to make action since there was criminal arrest. Right here, we're dealing with a civil lawsuit. And frankly, as I stated earlier, the civil lawsuit, the worst thing that can happen is he has to pay money to to the complainant or the plaintiff, excuse me. Uh, and, and that's the worst that can happen. The university can't kick him out because he agreed to pay a settlement on a civil case. All right. Uh, now they, they have every authority to do what they need to do if he's found responsible with the Title IX or in this case, like I mentioned earlier, the non-Title IX process, because that's within the university.
1: That's a great point. And I think that like as a final, you know, kind of note to viewers, and this is something uh, I've thought of too, Jacob and I have talked about it. So that's another whole issue with this is if that, you know, the university was to make a quick, irrational decision, you know, based on uh, maybe speculation or accusations, they could potentially be opening themselves up to legal exposure as well. If they were to, you know, remove pop team. And it, I I don't know how a lawyer would spin that necessarily, but it does seem like they could potentially be opening themselves up to legal exposure. I mean, at the end of the day, I know universities have the right to remove students based on code of conduct and things like that. But if he hasn't technically broken code of conduct no. uh, from a legal standpoint, Texas Tech kind of has their hands tied as well, right?
0: Yeah. Now, and imagine this. And, and this is kind of the, the microcosm you have to see it in. Uh, and I kind of use the analogy because they're going on side by side. T.J. Shannon up in uh, Illinois, his attorneys have filed, I think, a motion to restrain, a restraining order Mm -hmm. to prevent the university or the athletic department from keeping him from being on the court. Okay, because they're basically saying he hasn't been found guilty of anything, he hasn't been found responsible of anything. And we have a defense that we're putting forward. And you're preventing my client from upholding his obligation. Think about this especially with NIL nowadays where these guys are profiting off their name, image, and likeness for every game. He doesn't get on the court, whatever company that has an arrangement with him, they're losing money. They're doing this. So now it's like, well, do we open ourselves up to a lawsuit because we're withholding his, his image out there being out there profiting off of it, whether it's the the student or any organization that teams up with a student, you know, That's why I believe Texas Tech did the right thing in saying right now, according to our viewpoint, he's still in good standing. So there's no reason for us to suspend him. There's no criminal allegation. We're going to let the process play out. And, And like I said earlier, just to tie it all in, that reasonableness, as far as timing goes, when we look at 120 days, that's four months. There's the basketball season. So he could remain in good standing for this entire year. And then at the end of it, maybe he does. I don't know. Once again, I'm on the outside looking in, but if found responsible, then there could be some conduct um, stuff that happens within the university, but he could remain in good standing through this whole, whole process as the season goes along.
1: Yep. That's, that's all. This is amazing info, Mark. We really appreciate you joining. I think um, it'll it's going to be all uh, very interesting to track. I think that, you know, I am I would think that this is going to be something that's pretty drawn out, like you alluded to, um, something we may not have a resolution to in the next few months. Um, or, you know, in the civil case, uh, we may not hear about it at all. Like you said, if there's a settlement, I, I guess that could be we wouldn't even know about it, like you said. So um, we really appreciate you joining Mark. Uh, Mark's Twitter is Mark Shaw as law. Um, he's very active on Twitter. Uh, he he was one of the first people that I saw commenting on this whole situation. Um, he specializes in Title IX and criminal law. Like I said, he's uh, got deep Texas Tech roots. Um, please give him a follow on Twitter. Um, if you, I believe, Mark, are you uh, really specializing in, in clients in the Central Texas area primarily?
0: Hey, I appreciate the plug, by the way, because I was going to note that when I commented on this Title Nine process, I've been getting a lot of follows. So <laughs> y'all follow me uh I, I and i i used to be the reserved hey i just like to read up on stuff see everybody's opinion but now i'm just like no i am not correcting people i'm just throwing my thoughts in there whether mm-hmm. you agree with it or not um so yeah give me a follow i appreciate it i don't just focus on central texas uh for example if uh, and i, I want to mention Luke Williams a great buddy of mine he was at the Lubbock va's office with me he is also uh, an attorney that specializes In Title IX, as a matter of fact, I'll be honest, he's the only one certified nationally in the state of Texas. But him and I coordinate with different universities, depending if we have time to take the case, what is our caseload like? Uh, So we kind of rotate around the the state of what we can take. Uh, I will be honest, Title IX has stayed in the Zoom post-COVID. So it's been easy to handle, you, you know, like, for example, University of Texas Arlington, uh, Baylor, down all the way to San Antonio. I've handled one at Tech. So we we really go over everywhere. The criminal aspect, same thing. It just depends on where um, services are needed in the time allotment. So yeah, I'm located Central Texas, and I do everything around here, but I, I kind of stretch my wings out a little bit. And, of course, I, I still have family back home and love. It be home for me. Um, and so I will handle a case or two out there um, from time to time. Luckily, I still have great friends in the D's office that I can pick up the phone and, and talk to them about a case. Um, and, and Lubbock will always be home. I enjoy going back there quite often. We're season ticket holders for football, so uh, we kind of spread around the. You know, I think the common term that a lot of people say is "have bar card, will travel." <laughs>
1: Well, Mark, oh, thanks again, man. It's been uh, you, you've taught me a lot. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I think that Title Nine, uh, you know, there's really just uh, this doesn't happen too often, right? Especially with high-profile athletes, um, and uh, especially on the basketball team at Tech. I think I think that maybe the last time something like this happened was back. Uh, to Sean Corfu, I think, with, is involved in something similar. But thanks again, Mark. Again, his Twitter is Mark Chavez Law. Um, he is uh, going to be the main point of contact that I go to for any questions for things like this. Um, and for any athletes, maybe listening, um, you know, someone to consider if you are looking for representation. Um, but Mark, thank you for your time and uh, have a good rest of your day.
0: I appreciate you guys having me on. you have a great day.
1: Uh, what's going on, Jacob?
2: Oh, you know, living life, riding, riding the high that comes with a B and two and O in conference play for the first time. And, uh, five years like uh, holy cow like, that, that it's it's really underrated like how hard that is to do
1: I agree yeah. I think like I, when we look back at the season I think that that win over Texas on the road is going to end up being huge mm-hmm. Um, and honestly you know a lot of people you know they're hard on Texas I think right. they are to from a resume standpoint they definitely have done uh, close to nothing they did get a really big road win against uh, you know a top 48-inch team in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. So, you know, where I'm going with that is that's all good for Tech. Um, the more Texans can win from here on out is actually good for Tech because it, it helps their rankings, um, and it, it makes that win look even better. Um, but what a massive road win. Um, and then last night, uh, you know, they played Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State took Baylor to overtime. Um, of course, this was in, uh, you know, at Oklahoma State. Um, but a team that, you know, is scrappy, um, they, they have nights where they can make 15, 16, 17 three-point shots, and a team that also uh, was uh, around in the yeah. top 30-ish of defenses over the last 10 games. Yeah. Um, so what are your thoughts, I guess, uh, from last night's game? Um, any any points you want to touch on?
2: No, I think they just did a really good job of uh, kind of rallying the troops after being down nine. Um, like you said, the Oklahoma State was able to come out and just hit a bunch of threes. Um, And then kind of after that, you know, they regrouped, made some pretty major adjustments, um, especially on the offensive side of the ball that kind of spaced things out and allowed for more one on one matchups. And I think that really allowed Texas Tech to take advantage of some mismatches they had that they really weren't able to take advantage of the first four or five minutes of the game
1: yeah i think the i feel like the 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 texas tech team is just so hard to stop offensively Mm -hmm. um because so a couple of things that i've noticed um tech at the beginning of the season i I don't know if you remember but they were just jacking up threes 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 threes. now they're it feels like they're being so selective like every possession really matters for this texas tech offense right and it's Mm -hmm. like So their, their volume numbers have gone down on three points, but their percentages are going up because they're taking better three point shots. Yeah. I think if you go in and look, um, I don't have the stats pulled up, but over, you know, over the last, I think I tweeted about it a couple of days ago, but over the last like five or six games, I think they're shooting the three, like anywhere from 40 to 50%, which is absurd as a team, you know, um, it's insane. And I really credit a lot of that to do with the Texas tech staff, but also you know, the discipline for the team. Like, it's very easy when you're down or very easy whenever you're struggling just to really, you know, jack up shots. You know, last night's a great example. I think Oklahoma State started off, it was like 11 to 3 or something like that. It was 11 um, to and, 3, and
2: then I think it got to 20 to 11 at one point. Was yeah, it biggest. got to 20 to 11.
1: Yeah, tech, tech went on that little mini run, and then Oklahoma State got a couple steals, they made a 3, mm-hmm. and it was like, oh, my gosh, we're back down once again. Uh, but I the thing that was so impressive about that was instead of panicking what they did was they started throwing the ball down to Warren and Darian Williams and the, and the block and just letting them kind of go to work and I think that that's a really you know what makes them so challenging is you have guys like Darian Williams who he can operate down low he can put his back to the basket and he's actually really he's kind of like one of those guys that's sneaky strong like he's He's not super yeah. tall, but it feels like he can get leverage over taller defenders. Um, and he uses his body so well down low. And he's he's got great touch around the basket. And then, like let's talk about Warren Washington. I feel like <laughs> I don't know what happened with Warren Washington, but now he's it's like crazy. He's, he's like a seven foot point guard who's throwing assists and like you know he's out here doing you know hook shots and and he's, he's getting his back to the basket. He's getting lobs. He's you know alley hoops from Joe and, and Pop. I guess what are your thoughts on Washington do you think that this is like McCaslin and and Dave Smart almost had like this revelation of like oh my gosh they're watching the film we need to utilize them this way I guess what are your thoughts on that
2: I think like going into this season like you and I had talked about it multiple times like he was really going to be a lob threat. We didn't really think he was going to average more than seven, eight points a game, you know, put up six, seven rebounds a game. And that was what they, that was what the team needed. It looked like, but now it's like, Holy crap. You have, you have, you know, you have, you know, Bill Russell in the post, you know, flinging up hook shots and just playing absolute awesome defense. And then, you know, you have, an, you have a guy who's, you know, dishing three, four assists a game the last, you know, three weeks. And it's just it, – it's it's insane. Like, and McCaslin talked about at the beginning of the season about his, like, passing ability. Like, oh, yeah, we're going to use that. Like, and we all thought it was kind of Coach Talk, like, oh, whatever. You know, he's a big man. Well, he, he might get one assist a game. But, no, recently he's just been – he's very – he's much I, – I think everybody underrated him, especially, like, in transition – He's very. Sure. He's much better at spacing the floor, much better at getting the spots and making the right pass. That a lot of people thought. Um, it's just been incredible, incredible to watch him because I didn't see him. I guess coming in as a guy that you could clear everything out, throw the ball into him, but now you're doing that four or five times a game, and it's being. It's become very a very efficient play.
1: It, I mean, yeah, the, his 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 shooting numbers are just ridiculous. I mean, he's not. Mm-hmm. He's not taking, you know, shots really outside of like 15 feet. But, exactly. um, but I mean, like here is last here. Here's how he opened up conference play 15 points against Texas. He had three blocks. He had a steal and he had three rebounds. Um, so one thing that he isn't doing right now, a lot of is rebounding. And I think that that's, mm-hmm. I do think that that's a, a little bit of a concern, not, not for him specifically, but I think we'll touch on this in a little bit. I think that, rebounding in general um you know tech could struggle against really good rebounding teams um but you know and then against oklahoma state he had uh 16 points he had a steal he had two blocks five assists and four rebounds so i mean he was literally he did everything i mean this guy's seven seven feet tall
2: you know he's just it's it's incredible like i think he's if in in our in our wildest dreams of like huge expectations this is what he needed to turn into
1: yes, it's, to it's, kind of
2: push this over the edge. And I think he's doing it and, and it's very exciting to watch.
1: I agree. Yeah. This, it, it's a big development for Texas tech. I think that just, you know, him staying healthy is going to be very important. You never know with mm-hmm. these tall, wiry guys. He doesn't, yeah. I don't necessarily think he has a history of like, you know, detrimental injuries or anything like that, but just something to keep an eye on. He has been playing quite a bit for, uh, for being a seven footer. But, you know, I guess right now he's averaging about 30 minutes a game in big Twelve play, something along those mm. lines. But, yeah, so last last night, Warren Washington was 7 of 10 from the field, 2 of 2 from the free throw line. And then, again, 4 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 blocks, a steal, um, and only 1 turnover. So, um, really just a, that's a, a, that's, a that's a
2: stupid stat line.
1: It's ridiculous. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. And then... I mean, we could sit here and talk about everyone. I mean, Pop has been mm-hmm. on an absolute tear as of recently. I think yeah. I think he's averaging like 23, 22 points a game over the last five or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Darian Williams just, I mean, if, if there's one player on the team that I'm just like the biggest yeah. fan of uh, that doesn't get enough credit, it's Darian Williams. Like the guy is just, he's so good. He—he he,
2: he does so much. He does so he much. Does, the, he does a little bit of everything. He rebounds, he can post up. Um I mean, he, he can, can, pass, can pass. he can shoot. Pass, he can shoot. He plays really really good defense on multiple positions. Very it's good just, defense. yeah. But say, we like you said, we could go down the line. I mean, of course we had Mr. 1K last night, Joe Toussaint. Yeah. Um the he he and I think he and Washington have been my two light like, most surprises. I didn't think I didn't think Toussaint was going to get to this level. I thought he was going to be a solid eight to twelve points a game kind of guy that's going to come in. He's going to be really consistent, but now it's like, oh wow, um, he's he's hitting step back mid range jumpers over like three people, and oh wow, he can throw lobs, and oh wow, he can get out of double teams and and score. It's it's insane um, how much I agree. how much some of these guys have have blossomed. I yeah, mean, of course, we we could talk about Crow Walton all day too about just from last year to this year, like it, at one point, at some point he's had to have an oh wow moment. Like, oh wow, I am good at basketball still because <laughs> last year yeah. it was not there. And and there, of course it's, we could talk about that all day too. Like it's, yeah. there, there are a lot of things that contributed to that for him last year. And this year it's like, everything has kind of slowed down and opened up for him and it's been really fun to watch.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, that's the thing is like, the way I view it is, you know, you're probably going to get a good game out of either one of Joe, uh, you know, Tucson or Pop Isaac's uh, mm-hmm. every game. Like, hopefully one of them is going to have a pretty decent game every game. And then if you can yeah. have guys like – and if both of those guys are firing on all cylinders, which they really have been as of late, then again, I credit to their shot selection. I think that it's been so, so good. Um, mm-hmm. That is one of the reasons why, you know, over the last 10 games, uh, according to Bart Torvik, They had the number six ranked uh, offense in the country over the last 10 games, number six in the whole country, which is absolutely insane. Um, Right now, for the entire course of the year, uh, Bart Torvik has Texas Tech as uh, the number 24 offense in the country. Um, So, again, I want to say uh, earlier in the season, um, you know, after those first few non conference games, I want to say Tech was like in the 70 realm offensively. So you have, you have literally seen Texas Tech
0: mm-hmm. get
1: better offensively, analytically every single game. Um, and right. where I going with that is just the guard play. Like, I just – I think that – and I, I heard one of the Oklahoma State uh, players talking about it in the postgame uh, interview yeah. last night. But he was, like, he was like, it's hard to stop them. Like, if, if Pop's not on, then Tucson's taking it to the hole or he's knocking down mid-range shots or he's knocking down threes or, you know, distributing the ball. If Tucson's not on, Pops, you know, knocking down threes, he's driving to the basket, he's throwing lobs to Warren Washington. Mm -hmm. But then you have to also worry about Kerwin Walton and Chance McMillan, who are, I mean, if you, you know, if if I was going to put two people on the Texas Tech team into a three-point contest for the Big 12, those may be my choices for Texas Tech. I mean, those guys are elite shooters. shooters. Like Mm -hmm. McMillan shot at 44% last year. Um, at Grand Canyon and Kerwin Walton was he I think he's still to this day the the best freshman three-point shooter of all time at North Carolina
0: um yeah. so I mean
1: this these are two elite shooters and but what's oh, so interesting man. is Kerwin Walton now and again I credit to Grant McCaslin and the Texas Tech staff so much but he's not just shooting you know he's not just jacking up threes anymore like he's no. driving a basket he's like I mean, he's, he's making some crafty plays with a ball in his hand, which is something that I think everyone's been kind of waiting for. He's also playing pretty good defense. I don't think he's the best rebounder clearly, um, but man, the, what are your thoughts on the guard play? I mean, I just, I feel like it's just been outrageous.
2: It's it has been outrageous. So for first and foremost, shout out to uh, my, my guy Jamar. Uh, he's the one that got that video, I think from the uh, okay. Um i you just you can't guard everybody and that's the best thing I mean Kerwin Walton's made I think three or four different plays this year that were just like backdoor cuts or back screens or just going to the basket with the ball that last year didn't happen and it was just it's just like wow uh everybody told me that he was a sniper from outside but now he's driving the basketball now he's Making backdoor cuts and finishing over people and getting add ones. And I mean, obviously, he's playing just so much better defensively. And I think that's where kind of, I think this is that is the, you know, he's elevated his game so much to where now you have so many different people to worry about on the floor. You can't focus on Tucson if he's on. You can't focus on Pop if he's on. You can't focus on Chance McMillan if he's knocking down 10,000 three pointers. You know, you can't focus on one of these guys because there's like four others that could step up at any point in time. I mean, and you can even kind of include Darian Williams in on this when he plays outside because he posts up a lot. But he's also he's also hit a lot of knockdown threes this year. And it's like if you have, you know, at any point in time, you have four guys out there that are just lighting it up from outside and you can't. It's very hard to defend. Like you have, you have Warren Washington, who's obviously not going to hit a three, but even he, I think, even his perimeter offense has been great because of his passing ability. It's yeah, just the guard, the guard play has been so much better than in years past.
1: I think that the whole, you know, I think I, I, I so much credit to Grant McCaslin and Texas Tech because, mm-hmm. I thought I really I really did not feel great after Devin Cambridge went out like I was like not going to be good for Tech I thought that he was you know he was kind of their energy guy he was he's Mm -hmm. by far the most athletic player on the team I think that Chance McMillan could be close but he's extremely athletic very like he's the guy that you want to stick on you know the other team is probably their best guard or their best wing or something like that but you know, I was very worried about that, but I think what happened after that injury is like, the, Grant McCaslin and Dave Smart almost had this revelation, like, "Oh my gosh, we we have Kerwin Walton!" Like, we, we you know, uh, and then they they just started to he started to build his confidence, yeah. and now, like you said, I mean, at oh. all times, you really and you know, when Lamar Washington goes into the game, um, because he's been playing some minutes off the bench mm-hmm. as well. When he and, and, you know, when he and, and, and Rob Jennings goes in, maybe that restricts their three-point shots a little bit more. Yeah, I think even, yeah. you know, Lamar, he's not a bad shooter. Like, he can knock him down um, if he's open. Oh. Rob's not going to shoot the three, yeah. but he is going to make high-energy plays. He's going to rebound.
0: Mm-hmm. But it's
1: like, how do you defend against a roster that has two guys in the starting lineup that can back you down, that can, you know, that can take – one of them will, will grab a lob over anyone, and then yeah. you have – you know, four outside shooters that can knock down threes. Three yeah. of them, you know, are, are undersized. Uh, two of them are undersized guards who are very quick, off the ball. Toussaint's actually, I, I think, like, we could spend all day talking about how impressive these guys have been. But I, mm-hmm. watching Toussaint, I feel like he's just a completely different player this year. Like, they, again, maybe this is just because he wasn't being utilized properly at West Virginia. Maybe he didn't get enough minutes. But the reality yeah. is, is like he he has looked incredible with the ball in his hands. Like he can make things happen whenever Tech's offense kind of goes into a rut, um, and he can play ISO bowl. He can get to the hole, like, and he's he's been really good at drawing fouls too. I think that that's a very underrated thing that he's yeah. been doing. He'll get to the basket, and he's got that like NBA, you know, kind of mentality where he's like, oh, he like kind of flails and flops and kind of you know exaggerates things a little bit. But that's, I mean, frankly, when you're hard nowadays, you have to be able to do that. Um, But it's, I'm so impressed with them. I think that, I think that there will be cold stretches offensively in the, in conference play. That's just going to be inevitable. Like Tech's not going to be able to continue scoring 90 points a game. We, you know, that's just a fact. Um, So I think that, uh, I think that the key though, is just going to be, you know, stick, stick to what's working. Um, Like last night, They got down into a pretty big deficit. They didn't panic. They started playing way better defense and they started to take better shots. And then all of a sudden they had a 10 point lead. Right. Mm
2: -hmm. Um, So I
1: think just continue to stay disciplined. um, And I think good things are going to happen. And then what Mm -hmm. about, um, uh, have you, uh, so Texas Tech's obviously going to be taking on Kansas
2: state um, this Saturday in Lubbock. What are you going to pull up some receipts,
1: right? (laughs) That's what I was going to say. Actually, it's funny. because um. This is kind of the joe tucson versus tyler perry game uh, mm-hmm. but also there, there's a lot of there's a lot involved here i um, tyler Perry played for grammy McCaslin; those two have a ton of respect for each other um, also yes. grant mccaslin is obviously you know longtime friends with jerome tang um mm-hmm. he also uh his name is, is is you know slipping right now but um they have a uh, jerome dowell i think is his name the assistant coach yeah. for kansas state he was mm-hmm. actually on the staff at unt with grant mccaslin so there is a lot of history. There's there, a lot
2: but, of connections here.
1: A lot of connections, but uh, I will say um, I haven't dove into the analytics yet in terms of Kansas State, and I haven't really pulled the scouting or, or anything like that. But I will say they are two and zero in conference play. They went on the road and, and beat up West Virginia pretty good. I think that West Virginia is probably one of the worst teams in the conference, but just, it, I don't care. Any win on the road in Big Twelve play is impressive to me. Um, so. What are your thoughts on Kansas State? Have you had a chance to watch them at all? And then what do you think are gonna be
2: so, kind of so I I got to watch the vast majority of their first game against UCF because it was on the same channel uh before the Texas Tech game against Texas, so I just kinda of, kinda of had it on in the background. Um what I notice is you need to stop Kaluma and you need to stop Tyler Perry. Yeah. In that to me, in that order. Some people are going to flip them. They want to stop Perry first, but in Big Twelve play, I feel like Perry's going to be more of an of a spot up outside shooter. That's when they really started cooking. UCF was when he just he he got they got paint touches, kicked it out. He drained a three because that's what he's good at. Um, I feel like Kaluma is much better at driving, getting into the paint, getting into the mid range where he likes to operate, and getting his shots off. Besides that they're they're i mean they're they're a solid team they're not a bad team um I feel like they're gonna finish somewhere in the middle they're probably gonna go nine and nine ten and eight eight and ten in conference like they're they're a solid middle team, but I just don't it's it's very easy to predict where they're gonna go like will mcNair dominated u c f s interior that's not gonna happen That's just plain and simple like Warren Washington is better way better than him. Um, I think even Robert Jennings is way better than him. I just don't know what. Um, it's going to be a fun game. It's going to be in Lubbock, which is just what it's great. It's a great. Uh, I think it's a good spot for us to play them right now. Um, it's going to be battle of two two and O teams in conference. I feel like the winner of this game has a solid chance of being ranked next week, um, especially if Tech finds a way to pull it out, I feel like it's gonna be uh, they have a really good chance of being ranked next week being 3 in conference. Um but like I said, you gotta stop, you know, Kaluma from driving. He does he does a lot of passing as well. Um Tyler Perry, obviously, um we all kind of watched him last year um with, with McCaslin, kind of at the end of the season when we all when the writing was on the wall he was coming here. Um and then whenever whenever Texas Tech initially reached out to him in the portal, um even if it was just kind of a respect call. I kind of dove into him a little bit for the Porter report and he was, he's, he's very good outside. Um, inside. I don't know how that translates to big 12. He hasn't really had to do much of that yet. He's yeah. been more of a, he's been more of a spot up shooter for them.
1: Yes, that's true. And I think the two matchups that I'm going to be really watching and they, they do like, you know, Cam Carter, I'm looking at their stats right now. Cam mm-hmm. Carter is, is very good. He's, he's been, been very guessing. good as of late. they they're they're a team that's just not very deep um that, that's mm-hmm. their biggest kind of flaw and i think that to so the two matchups that i'm going to be watching are going to be arthur Kaluma versus darian williams those two are probably going to match up together darian williams yeah uh he he's not the most athletic guy but he moves qu- as quick as he needs to and he uses his body coloma yeah. is not going to back down darian williams you know he, no, he's is, not he's not the the biggest worry that I I foresee with Kaluma is his slashing ability. I think that text no. will keep him out of the paint, and if no. they can do that, they're in good shape. So force him to the you know force him to the outside, um, and and essentially keep him away from the basket. And then Tyler Perry, I'm I really want to see uh, Graham McCaslin's obviously not going to stick one person on them, but I, if I had to guess, no. he's going to put Joe Toussaint on him, um, or I mean. Let's be honest. Pop's playing good defense too, man. Like he's been pretty scrappy. His, his, his Pop's biggest flaw on the defensive side is, um, you know, guys can blow by him. It seems like at times, sometimes they'll just kind of fall asleep a little bit on the perimeter and they'll mm-hmm. blow by him.
2: Houston's that's I mean, gonna... that's that's kind of why I think that they're gonna flip that. I feel like Pop's probably gonna start out on Perry because he's he's decently athletic, but he's he's not gonna. He's not a guy that's going to slash by you 15 yeah. times a game, but Cam Carter is that kind of guy. Yeah. Cam Carter's athletic enough to get by you. And that's why I think that. Well, it's not the matchup everybody wants. I feel like Toussaint's gonna be better suited to kind of contain him because he's he's a guy that gets to the rim. He's a guy. He's the guy that they throw oops to a lot. Like I feel like Toussaint's a bit better suited to cover him, but we'll see. I bet you. I bet you both of them get reps on both of those guys. Like it's not. It's, it's gonna like, be interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm.
1: I'm. I'm very interested to see matchup wise what Grant McCaslin does, and I think you'll see a combination of both. You'll probably see mm-hmm. Lamar oh. Washington coming off the bench and guarding Perry as well. Yeah. Um, but. I think those are two really key matchups. Um, and I mean, and I'm just—I pulled up their uh, Bart Torvik profile, and I think that the number one things that stand out—they're not very good on offense; they're very good on defense. Um, yes. So the last yeah. the last ten games, they are the 14th best defense in the country. So, to put it in perspective: Tech, the, the you know, over the last ten games, the sixth best yeah. offense um, against the 14th best defense. So it's going to be a straight up battle of strengths, you know. And I think that. Um, one thing that I'm also looking at um, they have they are uh, they turn the ball over a lot um, on offense so yes. they are <laughs> they are uh, they have a 20 percent turnover rate right now and which ranks 305 in the nation um, but on uh, the one good thing they don't really do much good offensively and I'm not you know I'm just saying that from the analytics I'm not mm-hmm. being subjective um, but essentially uh, they are a top 12 uh, offensive rebounding team which is very concerning to me yeah. because tech tech i mean even last night against oklahoma state i i, I, I didn't pull the final numbers but i had to guess they out rebounded tech on the offensive glass uh, prob- most likely i don't i'm not i'm not sure 100 percent. but that is something to keep an eye on in my opinion those little those little things and i mccassum the first thing he said last night after the game was uh we re- i'm still worried about rebounding you know and i am too mm-hmm. so i think that that's something to keep an eye on um, and another final note that I'll say from their stats that I'm looking at here, um, Kansas State is 4-0 this season in close games. Um, so that, you know, so they they will pull the, you know, if this game turns into a battle, they're not going to panic. Um, it, that, that is a, a very intriguing stat to keep an eye on. Yeah. Um but, yeah, very, very interested to see this game. Um, I think that it's going to be close. I don't think it's going it, to – we'll see. I, I, I think that it has the, the chance in the second half for Tech to pull away by 10 to 15 points, mm-hmm. but I do expect this to be a battle. Um, one thing – last thing I will say to keep an eye on is if I'm Tech, I'm going to try and get Kansas State into foul trouble early and often. I'm driving Easily. at the hoop. Yeah, I think that that's going to be really important. Tech's been very good. At getting to the free throw line, and they've been very good shooting their free throws. Um, so against a scrappy defensive team, that's really a great way to equalize their aggressiveness. Um, so yeah. let's see what happens with that. Um, but man, it's been good. I'm, I'm glad to be back on this, Jacob. Um, we obviously got to interview uh, Mark Chavez earlier oh, yeah. about the Title Nine stuff. Um, mm-hmm. again, guys, uh, please go follow Mark on Twitter if you haven't already. Um, and yeah, and uh, in terms of plans for the podcast in the future. Um, Jacob and I have some exciting stuff to be kind of coming out with over the next few weeks and months, um, but you can expect more regular podcasts um, and you know potentially some different other avenues for us to engage with our uh, you know our listeners and, and and other fans and things like that. So, but Jacob, thanks a lot, man. Um, I will. Uh, yeah, man. We'll we'll recap the Kansas State game next week, and uh, mm-hmm. thanks
2: for joining. Yes, sir.
1: All right.